0: The Old House, recording another uh, recovery story that we're really excited about. We have the world famous Tuba here today. How's everybody doing? <laughs> yeah, we're really excited to have Tuba here. We actually saw Tuba at Wednesday Market um, a couple weeks ago. These are going to air in the fall and it's winter. But next summer, if you're around Soldatna, Wednesday Market's always a great place. We have our Change with the Kenai booth there where you can come connect with us, uh, get valuable information on community resources that we have available. But yeah, but back to the original point, the reason we're here. World-famous tuba. How's it going, man? It's going incredible. Awesome. Glad to be here. Nice. So we'll kind of dive right in here. Uh, Take us back. This is kind of a question we like to ask everybody, um, their first podcast that we do. Take us back to whether it be a month, two, or three, however long, when you kind of made that switch and realized that you needed help and that recovery was going to be that help that you needed. And how did you go about it?
1: Well... Uh, I got, I, I had hurt my back a long time ago and I got a lawsuit settlement and it was like $75,000 and I spent $35,000 of it on booze in about one year. So I, towards the end there, uh, I knew, I've known for a long time that I need to quit drinking, but I just didn't know how to stop. And I thought I was going to die that way. And at the point of the end of all that money, I was scrounging change just to buy a bottle of booze. So, uh, I didn't, I I remember I bought a gallon of uh, whiskey uh, that morning and I drank it within two and a half hours, almost all of it. And I I remember dialing a phone and being like, I need help. This is not, this is, I'm in a bad way. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember thinking to myself, if I get pulled over, I'm going to take my seatbelt off. I'm going to drive off the end of a cliff. I'm not going to get a DUI. I'm not going to take it to jail. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was at. Like, and I was thinking that three or four months before I got help. That was mm-hmm. going to be my exit. My, one of my really, really, really good friends who um, actually helped me in my recovery, he came home for lunch one morning. He came home in the morning, which he never does, like 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting at the window trying to find a rehab or somebody to call for help. And he said, what do you need, Tuba?" And I said, I need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he uh, put me in his truck, grabbed my CPAP machine, and he drove me to the hospital. And there I met a fabulous lady named Pat. Well, I was in there uh who let me know yeah you you have a problem the doctor told me that my blood alcohol level was so high that he couldn't believe that i was talking couldn't believe i walked in there and said you should be flopping on the floor like fish mm-hmm. you should have complete alcohol poisoning by now so uh this person um that was at the hospital and worked for the, worked for the hospital pat uh told me that I, they were going to keep me overnight mm-hmm. and then get me in a facility the next morning and so i begged her that if I was, if my friend would come pick me up, if they would let me go home for one night so I can get my clothes, get some clothes, get a shower, you know, and so she did. And so my buddy Brad, he took me in at 10 o'clock in the morning, came back and picked me up at like at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and uh, drove me home. And, you know, so I didn't drink that night and I didn't drink in the morning. I got in my truck and I went back to the intake office and uh, they admitted me. At the Serenity House intake office? The Serenity House intake office. and. Mm-hmm. That, that that night before when I met that person in the hospital, uh, that's where it began. I was shown nothing but kindness from that point till right now. Mm-hmm. To right now, I've got on the tenth, I'll have I'll have twenty months. Oh, so Christ. the community is all about helping people and in recovery and all about uh, you know not letting people fall. You know, and if they do, they help them back up. Mm-hmm. So that's where that all began. Right. You know was the hospital, I spent 13 days in detox, and then I went to Serenity House, and I spent another 53 days there, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, while you're in the house, there's things that they have you do and goals that you have you try to meet, and my goals were to uh, graduate from this program, which Mm -hmm. is the only thing I've ever graduated from in my life, Mm -hmm. Uh, my goals were to uh, get a a, a job, get my GED, and then if after I was a year clean, apply for peer support, so I can help other people, you know, which were uh, pretty, pretty intense goals for somebody who's drank for 41 years, mm-hmm. party for 41 years. That's like kind of like way out there, right. you know, so you know, okay, that's right, about once the... your
0: brain starts to heal and you have some time on your hands now, though, you know, it's kind of one of those things like, man, like for the first time ever, like you really have time and an able mind and like, you know, like, probably one of the first real times where like, it's, it has to be a liberating feeling. I would imagine to like, no, now. They're like, you have the license and the capacity to be ambitious now, you know? Like So to have those goals, I think, like, it's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, the truth is, is that it took a long time for me to, I had to be stay in, like they say, you stay in the middle of the herd, you stay with people who are connected to the program, you trust in God, which I choose to call my higher power, but it is God who helped me through all this, and, you know, uh, I had to, uh, I don't like, you know, they didn't brainwash me. Mm -hmm. they washed my brain (laughs) I mean, they cleaned my brain off because it was Mm -hmm. so corroded and and just combobulated with so much bad stuff and bad thoughts and bad bad habits Mm -hmm. that i didn't know how to change them i didn't know where i was going to go how to help change them so throughout this whole process they taught me tools to use to keep myself sober you know and uh i use those tools to this day and i'm always learning new tools Mm -hmm. you know uh being connected to the community of recovery Helps me stay sober. Mm-hmm. They always say, you know, that uh, you know, helping another addict or an alcoholic, you know, helps you more than it helps them. And they don't know that, but it's true because you're getting out of yourself and you're mm-hmm. helping other people and you're doing what's what what you know what what we're supposed to do. What I was supposed to do the whole time, I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So you know, and it's not it's not like it's a, a an easy road. It's not like it's there's not difficult times. There's always going to be difficult times. There's always going to be hard times it's mm-hmm. how they've taught me to learn how to deal with them mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. you know and if you've been been in any any ways like drinking and partying and, you know doing all these bad things for 41 years and you get the opportunity to change it's not like your mind like my heart wanted to change mm-hmm. my mind didn't know how yeah you know uh mm-hmm. it was uh it, it's like just learning like a baby learns to walk i had to learn how to live life mm-hmm. you know all over again when i got out of a Serenity House, I had my, I, I, a week before I had uh, had my friend take me on my visit. We got my truck, I uh, got all the alcohol, out of, all the empty bottles out of my truck, went and cleaned my truck, filled up with gas. And then I parked it right behind uh, uh, intake. So when I got out, I would have my truck to go to my appointments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, oh yeah, I'm going to get my truck. Everything's going to be great. Da, 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 da. Ooh, I'm free again. Well, I got in my truck and I cried. Mm mm-hmm. I went to my first psychiatrist appointment that morning and I cried the whole time. Mm. I went to my second one that morning and I cried the whole time. I didn't know how I was like that little kid who first took his first drink or his first puff. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I was a little kid in a, in a huge world. Mm. I didn't know how to not feel scared, angry, sad, mad without having some kind of some kind of something in my body to alter my mind. Right? Mm. You know. So uh, I when I the first day I got out it was it was like a scared little kid mm-hmm. you know and it took a long time to be like okay i have freedom i can do what i want don't make the wrong choices get mm-hmm. to a meeting go to my classes right. you know so And
0: yeah, what were some of those things that were like some of the most important things in early recovery like if you're talking to somebody who's in early recovery now kind of having some of these same feelings and fears and anxieties i guess more than fears really yeah. Uh, what is some advice or like skills? Uh, or really, yeah, just like advice and tips that you might give somebody in early recovery, not a state connected and
1: doing those kind of things? Pray. Read the big book. Pray. Do what's suggested. Get a sponsor. Go to meetings. Mm-hmm. Go to your classes that you're supposed to go to for recovery. Learn a whole new routine. routine. Instead of getting up and getting a bottle of booze or getting up and smoking or getting up and doing drugs, get up and pray.
0: Mm-hmm. Get up
1: and get to a meeting. Get up and get, you know, go. You know, I, I don't suggest for anybody to, unless that's what kind of person they are and they know they can do it. I didn't suggest in your first days out of out of recovery or out of a uh, sober living home or something like that to get a job right away. They're really, they, they suggest 30 days, get all adjusted. And that's what my, my, my roommate did for me. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he said the same thing that they say at the other places you know, you don't have to get a job for 30 days once you to go to classes, once you to go to meetings. He did the same thing. He said, I don't have to pay rent for 30 days. I want you to get really deep into your recovery, get to your classes, get to meetings, surround yourself with people who are sober. And that's what I did. You know, for me being somebody who's very independent, you know, I left home at a young age and been a runaway. For me being somebody who's so independent and just did what I wanted to, I had to step out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I had to start reaching out for people to help. I had to start going to meetings. Um, I had to start talking at those meetings. And if everybody out there knows me, they know that I'm a talker. But really for me to be put on the spot and stand up in a meeting or, or you know, announce myself in the meeting, it's harder for me to talk because now I'm put on a spot. Mm-hmm. So you have to get out of your comfort zones and you have to start learning new 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 and better habits mm-hmm. to change your way of life. That's what I believe.
2: Yeah, yeah I really wanna Earlier, you said when you were first getting into recovery, actually, like entering the hospital, that people treated you nicely. And, you know, that's kind of almost like an expectation I have that people are going to treat me nicely at like a hospital or, you know, a care facility. But I think that really speaks to how you feel, though. It sounded like you didn't feel like they were going to treat you nicely. It sounded like you, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it sounded like you felt like you were going to be
1: rejected somehow. Well, the thing is, is uh, uh, 20 years ago, I had a very bad meth problem, too. Very bad. And I had been to three other rehabs in California, and in California, Pomona, San Bernardino, other places like that. They're really bad. They're not good rehabs. They're mm. just there, you know. Uh, they try, but they're they have so many uh, diverse personalities, gangsters, you know, you know, just hardcore people. So uh, it wasn't about rehab. It was more like trying to stay alive and not get beat up while you're in rehab, kind mm. of thing, is what I remember. And I remember as soon as I got out of those rehabs, I went back on used. Immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, Sounds
2: like you were doing time in the rehab, not really yeah, rehabbing. Yeah.
1: You know, and a lot of it was court ordered too. So I do believe that when you're court ordered, your no, mindset's not there to, you know, you're just surviving. You're not, you're, you know, you don't want to go back to jail. You're trying to do whatever mm-hmm. you to, to make the judge happy and stuff. I, so it, it was, it was a different kind of uh, situation than it was here. Mm-hmm. Here, when I went, from the moment I went into the hospital, you know, I was treated with compassion and love and kindness mm-hmm. and, you know, to the day I got into, the next day when I got into the intake office, I was, my brain was so fried at that point. I remember sitting there with this big thick piece of paper, bunch of papers. They wanted me to fill out and answer these things. I couldn't even, I couldn't, I didn't get it. I, mm, it was like just yeah. a bunch of jibbly up words on a piece of paper. And I remember crying and I remember them helping me. And I remember them taking me to a room where I could fill it out. So I'm not crying in front of those people. And, mm. you know, they, they were really very compassionate about, you know they that i had a really bad problem mm-hmm. you know and so uh you know even in even in, in detox they checked on me mm-hmm. every hour they had medication for me so i didn't go into seizures uh, uh opioids and and alcohol they say are the hardest ones to come off of without having you know especially somebody who's been doing it for so long mm-hmm. you know that i i you know from the moment i was in 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 the facility i was treated with complete kindness and compassion not once was anybody frustrated me. Even when I get frustrated myself, I was just, you know, even the people that were in detox with me were kind and compassionate to me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that all that kindness, uh, helped me realize I wanted a better way of life. Mm-hmm. Also. Was it confusing at first? Well, my mind was confused. Yeah. Everything oh. in my brain was confused. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, it was about, uh, three weeks at the house that I was at, the house that, uh, I had a breakdown. I had a meltdown. I'm Mm. 50 years old. I'm in rehab again. You know, I don't, you know, I spent all my money. You Mm. know, uh, I, everybody's rock bottom is different. Yeah. You know, um, I still had my family, uh, but I, you know, I did a lot of damage and I still had my truck and I still had a place to live, but my soul, my spirit, my being was beyond repair. Mm. You know, it was, it was, it was just a bottle of alcohol, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm. and that's all I was, you know, so. It was a really hard first couple months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's what I could say.
2: What do you feel like helped you the most in those really crucial first months? What kept you there? I mean, I, when you had that breakdown, I imagine you're looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Like, what do I want to be? Like, how do you get through that?
1: No, I, I had a breakdown with a really incredible counselor. And, you know, she gave me some tough love. Hmm. And, you know, uh, every one of the counselors at Springhouse were just so incredible. Mm. They never let me, they never let me put myself down. Mm. I'm a cutter and a burner. And I've been that way for forever. And, you know, one of the counselors there told me that if you have an urge to cut yourself, hurt yourself, you need to come to me. You know, and I remember getting ready. I remember getting a pin. I remember sharpening the edges. I remember going to sit in the closet by myself. And I was going to, that's my release. I don't have alcohol. I'll cut and burn myself. And I was just about ready to cut myself. And I remember her words. If you're going to do that, you need to come and tell me. And I did. I went down and I told her, and uh, she was not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're going to do that. She was Mm. more uh, uh, coddling. You know, she Mm. let me know that I was a good person and I didn't need to hurt myself anymore. And there was a different way to change my life. How did you
2: deal with that vulnerability? Because I imagine that that was a different experience. I had
1: to learn how to be vulnerable. Mm. You know, Um, I've always been a crazy guy all of my life. So (laughs) for even uh, part of what uh, I believe God put me in there for was to teach me vulnerability. Mm. You know, um, my body is really, really beat up. Uh, You know, I'm not, I'm not that old, you know, uh, but my body is really beat up. And there was, came a point in time at the house that I couldn't, if I laid down for meditation or if I got on the couch, I would really have a hard time getting up. And a lot of people that a lot of the other clients in the house would help me up they mm-hmm. see me trying to get up. They'd be like, hey, don't, let me help you up too much. And to this day, clients, people still help me up off the couches because, you know, it's it, it hurts more to try to get up by myself. And, you know, being mm-hmm. the way that I am, I want, it, I want to do it myself. I don't want yeah. to ask for help.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I think that independence gets so deeply ingrained because of some of those experiences you've had that even now, you know, 20 months sober. And this is uh, the reason I'm the only reason I'm really saying this to bring this up is for those people in early recovery who are like, man, Like, I kind of feel like I've been doing this a while, even the first like two, three years, I feel kind of feel like I've been doing this a while. And like, I still have troubles with these things at times. Like, man, you spent a lot more time learning to be independent and surviving. And you have been having a support system, which allows you to be like vulnerable and cooperative, Hmm. like with other people, you know, it's like giving yourself that space and patience to really develop some of those skills and practice, like. So that vulnerability, trusting people again, like learning some of those skills that like people with loving, stable, like engaging homes, like get when they're children, you know, like some people aren't that lucky, man. Like they don't get that, you know, then you're forced to be independent from 11, 12 years old until you're 49, you know, or however old, like it's be patient with yourself, love on yourself. Like you can still
1: get it. You know, yeah. it's not it's not over now. Like if anything, it's just starting. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I feel too. I came from a loving, nurturing family, a great family, great home, uh, great parents, great aunts and uncles. Uh, I just didn't know how to handle the death of my father.
0: Right. And that's mm-hmm.
1: what took me down in a spiral. And I didn't want to ask for help. And I didn't I didn't want to hear what anybody had to say. That's reading out of a book. I didn't want to hear from some high psychiatrist that said oh yeah a lot of people's dads died or you know i'd ask them, do you drink do you do drugs do you, you know and they would say no but i know a lot of people have problems i didn't want to hear from that either you know i was very closed-minded you know so i had to learn also 12. i was also 12 <laughs> yeah and you know there was no explanation anybody was going to give me that was going to make me not want to die right you mm-hmm. know so for you know 41 years all i wanted to do was die mm-hmm. i didn't want to be here anymore You know, and I think that's why I drank and abused my body and did dangerous jobs and did dangerous things because I just didn't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to say to God, Jesus, let me die. You know, and Mm -hmm. now I wake up every morning and saying, Thank you. Let me, thank you for letting me live. Mm -hmm. You know, I live an incredible life now. You know, uh, even only 20 months into it, I can't see ever, I will have this disease for the rest of my life. And this disease will be sitting in the back of my truck doing push-ups and working out, trying to kill me. It Mm. wants me to relapse. It wants me to go back out there. It wants me to die all the time, Mm. you know. So I have to hone my skills. I have to always stay around people who are sober. I always have to stay around people who who I believe who are in recovery and helping people in recovery. Because, you know, when I was out there, the only people I put myself around were bad people. Mm-hmm. People who drank, people who partied, people who wanted me to, wanted to see me hurt myself, wanted me to start a fight in the bar. I put myself around people that wanted to be entertained by me. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I'm not an entertainer anymore. Right. You know, I don't mind being mellow, having people help me up off the couch. Mm-hmm. It's really quite an a easier life now. Yeah. Does that
2: did that go back to the tools. I know they taught you some tools, and that sounds like you started making strategies around how to live your life. I mean, I I feel like when your life is dominated by a substance that impulsivity can really reign supreme in the sense of like, if you are in constant pain, you want to feel good, right? Like, cause if life is suffering and there's only these few moments that you're actually good, you know, you're always looking for that. So how did you, how did you start putting these strategies that you learned into effect? Like what did that look like?
1: Well, uh, uh, well I you know I don't I don't I don't really know how to answer that question yeah. because my body is still in pain. Mm-hmm. I think that with the program and with what they taught me, they taught me how to uh, manage the pain. And I and all mm-hmm. through my life I've heard about pain management, da da you know, but I've I've always been an alcoholic and addict, so that was my pain management. I mm-hmm. a bottle I know drinking a bottle of booze like bingo away. Right. You know. So what I had to learn how to do was to, you know, uh title off PM. That works pretty good. Arthritis little arthritis medicine works pretty good you know, add a little Advil and a Tylenol, works really good. And then those drugs are addicting. You now those drugs do anything for your, alter your brain. You know, mm-hmm. and the, even those, you don't want to abuse those either, but I've learned that I didn't need a bottle of booze to get through the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, the damage that I did, I did to myself, and I have to deal with that. You know, even when I, I I've been through four major surgeries since I've gotten out of out of into recovery, since I've been out of recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I did, like the doctor said, when I took my my medication like the doctor said on the hours when it's supposed to be done and then when they they issued me my second bottle of painkillers mm-hmm. i I finished part of those and then my wife was there to watch me throw the rest away mm-hmm. and get rid of the rest you know uh, I didn't abuse those either you know mm-hmm. so uh, part of that is just you know learning to cope with with what you have sober right yeah. you know what I mean sober Yeah. is yeah. Uh, is, is is a much easier life then trying to drink on pills, trying to drown your pain from pills, mm-hmm. trying to drown your pain from alcohol, uh, being sober, you gotta lift it you know you gotta lift everything, you gotta feel everything. Mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. spent so many so many years not feeling anything that's oh it's okay to cry. Yeah. It's okay mm-hmm. to feel the pain that I'm feeling you know and I don't live in like oh my God if I was you know if I wish just would have done this or oh my God da, da, da. it's more like you know okay, I did these things, that's why I'm feeling the pain mm-hmm. and you know I lived a wild life. And now I have to suffer the consequences of my wild life, mm-hmm. you know, and instead of feeling sorry for myself and thinking that, you know, uh, I should have done this or I should have done this or I should have mm-hmm. done this. I just have to live the consequences. And if I look at it that way, then I'm not in in in, in so much, oh, poor me mode, mm-hmm. you know. I did it. I did it myself, but now I'm sober. So now I'll live with, with the consequences of what I, of the damage I did, right. you mm-hmm. know. It's almost like the art of letting go, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. being able to, like, kind of forgive yourself and, like, yeah, and then it happened. Like, and not in a way that, like, you deny accountability, you know, like, not pretend that it didn't happen, like, like you said, like, drowning it out or, like, kind of bandaging it up, but genuinely saying, like, you know, I I did some bad things and, like, there's nothing I can really do to go back and change those things? Like, you make your amends, right? I know that's a step. Yep, is that the
1: fourth step? It's a fourth step. Fourth
0: step, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, yeah, let, let's skip to there. What was that process like for you? I mean, you know that's something that always is kind of tough and kind of like, scary for people who want, want to get into recovery. Is that like, man, I'm going to, like,
1: have to do some things I don't want to do, you know? Uh, actually, I think the fourth step is uh, taking a personal inventory of yourself. And then the fifth step is making amends, mm-hmm. you know? um. So for me, uh, a lot of my amends were to people I didn't know they were in bars, they were at people's parties, you know, and they were in California. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those were, uh, you know, uh, I could say my prayers and ask God to forgive me for those. There's no any way I'm going to find all of these people to make, to say sorry to them. Right. You know, uh, a lot of it was, and this gradually happened. I had to make amends to my daughter, you know, because I wasn't part of her life. I had to make amends to my ex-girlfriend, my, my daughter's mom. I had to make amends to my ex-girlfriend, you know. I had to make amends to people that I would I'd make amends to my family, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you're sober, it feels, it, it seems like it's going to be hard, but it's not. Right. You know, you have to do that. You know, you can't you can't keep any of that stuff in you. you. have to You have to be sober and feel it. And, you know, they say also that, you know, you're not making amends to make them forgive you. Mm-hmm. You're making amends to help forgive yourself. Yeah. You're making amends to, you know, so you can get through this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Some people aren't gonna forgive me for some of the yeah, stuff I did. For sure. Some yeah. people aren't gonna want to talk to me for what stuff I did. Yeah. You know, uh, mm-hmm. some people probably beat me up if they saw me out for the stuff I did. So right. but you know, I'm I, I make amends so that I can I can start healing myself. And if they don't want to forgive me, mm-hmm. then I'm not gonna blame them for that either. You know, that's yeah. I did the damage and it's anybody's opportunity whether they want to forgive me or not forgive me you know i
2: feel like that's the right kind of mindset to have not being result oriented because so much of life where we live in is We're trying to get to a certain goal, but the approach of making those amends, not having an expectation, I think gets rid of a lot of the anxiety associated, like with an unknown outcome. Like, what are they going to say? And you're like, it doesn't matter because that's not why I'm doing it. I'm just going to take the action. I'm going to do what I can. Yeah,
0: because it's almost like uh, the serenity prayer, you know, like accepting the things you can't control because like, man, you can't control the response. Like as Mm. much as you really want them to forgive you, like they might just kind of like, yeah, man, like go eat grass. Like like, I'm good, you know? And like that's all you can really do is like come from a place of genuine sincerity. It's like oh, I'm taking accountability for what I did. I'm really sorry. It was pretty ugly. And like that's really all you can do. Like their reaction to that and their response is totally out of your control, you know. So like oh yeah. Being able to kind of have the wisdom to know the difference, you know. Mm-hmm. Right Thanks.
1: I I would like to take complete credit for the way that I think now, but I can't. Mm-hmm. The way that I think the way I thought was I didn't care. I didn't care if you like me didn't like me forgave me didn't forgive me I, I didn't care when I was in my addiction mm-hmm. you know uh, the things that I the things that, the way that I think and the things that I do, the way I do things now are duly related to my higher power God my family and the book you know the book and the people in the programs have taught me that I've watched them I watched their kindness I listened to their words I've read the, I've read the book you know I've read the book twice now mm-hmm. you know and in the, in in, in that I've learned that I have to be compassionate. I have to be. I have to be in certain ways in order for my life to enjoy my life, not because you know that you know. Oh, you have to be this way for a certain reason. I have to be this way because my life is enjoyable now like that. Yeah. It's 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 you know my life is filled with compassion. Filled mm. with you know the people that I work with. You know I, I I've made it to peer support. You know I'm working on my high school diploma. I'm, I'm doing things that I never, ever thought. If you would have told me 19, 20 months ago that I was going to be sober and I was going to be helping people, I would have told you, you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah. I would have said, you're out of your mind. Uh, where's my ball? Mm-hmm. That's what I would have said. I've never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be able to be doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, and I have a passion for it because I, I feel sympathetic to people like me. You know, I know what they're going through. You know, I've been there, you know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been in the darkness. with no light for years and years. Mm -hmm. So what, what the way that I am now, I I was, it was, I was taught that Mm -hmm. I I had to be open-minded, willing, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those things in order to be the way that I am. You know, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't somebody saying you're going to be this way. It was something that you have to accept. You want to be that way. Mm -hmm. You have to accept that you want to be sober. You want a better life. You know, we're not, they always say we're, we're not, we're not, the people that that our addiction turned us into, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're we are who we are now in our sobriety. Right. You know, that's who we were mm-hmm. supposed to be. We've made ourselves a mess with all of our addictions and what we've done with the addiction. We've made a mess out of our life. That mm-hmm. doesn't define us, though. Yeah. yeah. You
2: know? Wow. Accepting all that, uh, almost shame of of where you've been. That sounds like it's a lot to handle, like a lot to process. I imagine that wasn't something that you just kind of got one day, but it's been an ongoing thing.
1: It it is, and it will be Mm -hmm. an ongoing thing for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I always tell myself, you know, because I I partied and drank and did all that stuff for so long that if I can be sober for 10 years, that's a quarter of the time that I was wasting my life away. Mm -hmm. You know, If I can be sober for 20, if I can live to be 20 more years older, that's only half of the time that I wasted my life away. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like uh you. I always say this, and I've heard it. I've heard it in the meetings. I've heard it before. Uh I always say that if I if I go after my sobriety, like I went after that bottle of booze or those drugs, mm-hmm. I will live a great life. Yeah, I will have <laughs> a great life, and mm-hmm. that's what I do. I go after my sobriety like it's like my life. My life depends on it because it does. Mm. I have to stay sober. I don't have another drink in me. You mm-hmm. know, I don't have another get a bottle in me i didn't dr- i don't know what one drink is mm-hmm. i don't know how to drink one drink right. one drink to me is giving you a drink and me drinking the bottle mm-hmm. i don't know what one drink is and yeah, that's mm-hmm.
0: something we kind of we were talking about before we started recording too that i think is really important for maybe people who are just maybe stumbling upon this and don't necessarily have like any firsthand experience with like that genetic component of alcoholism that like it's kind of confusing i think for people when they're like oh, well, why doesn't so-and-so just like, they realize they can't handle it. Why like, they just stop, you know? And it's like, it's not exactly that way, you know? And it doesn't look always like, you know, that stereotypical, I'm throwing air quotes up right now, but like the stereotypical like alcoholic where like, oh, you know, so-and-so had a great job and they ran like themselves into the dirt and then now they don't have their family anymore and like they got their kids taken away. Like it doesn't always look like that. Some people can like function decently for a long time but it's when they drink like it's almost like a blackout rate like if your blackout rate is 99.9 percent like it's kind of a sign you know like and that's like people i think get confused sometimes between like what an alcoholic looks like if you've never if it's not in your family you don't have a firsthand experience with it so i think like that's kind of a important thing to hit on there's like mm-hmm. there is no shutoff off valve like you're saying no. like there's like no casual drinking there's no responsible drinking like it genetically like it's just not an option like it literally does not exist it doesn't happen and it's like zero percent chance like you start like it's going to be a lot it's going to be a, a rodeo a little bit going down yeah the pipe there
1: well i started i started when i was 11 or 12 years old and i didn't stop till i was 50 years old mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what i mean and uh it wasn't towards the it was you know i drank all the time it wasn't mm-hmm. until like the last 10 years that i drank every day yeah, you know, and
0: I and when I answer myself, thirty years of like not doing it every day, you know, like that's there's there are not a lot of people in your life, like except for your immediate family, that's
1: seeing you every day for thirty years, right, you know? right. So like that's kind of exactly the point I'm So I'm glad that kind yeah. of yeah, out. you know, um, and uh, what I say back earlier when I said I drank that much whiskey in, 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 in two and a half hours, it didn't. I didn't decide to drink that much whiskey in one night. It took forty-one years to, to have that high of a tolerance, yeah. you know, and and to walk into the hospital first. Walking, walk <laughs> yeah, right. No, to sure. walk in, it took that many years to make that high of a tolerance in my body, and your body's only going to be able to do that a couple times yeah, mm-hmm. before things are going to start going really south, mm-hmm. you know. And I believe that everything that happened that day to get me into the hospital was all an act of God. I believe that. The job that i'm doing now was an act of god you know it wasn't it wasn't me deciding to get sober you know when i read when they, they had to do a intense background check on me and when i got that background check back i had been arrested 30 times from the time i was 18 to the time i was 40 something years old and i looked at those arrests and they were just crazy they were the wildest things and when i looked at them, i was like wow i could have died there Oh, I should have went to prison for seven years. there. Oh, I should have went to prison for 10 years. Oh, I should have died there. Oh, this should have happened. It was like, it, I, I, I I, started crying when I read that food support because at that point I had already applied for peer sports, mm-hmm. And I realized that God knew what I was going to do when I was 50 years old. He knew I was going to change my life. I didn't, but mm-hmm. he did. And it was like a testimony to read that, see that. I was one step away from not being able to get this job one step away from being in prison one step away from dying mm. he knew that i was going to help people when i you know when i was 50 years old but i didn't mm. know that
2: yeah now with that the whole it sounds like your whole life has been kind of self destructive i mean you Absolutely. said to yourself you kind of want to die and, and even that last story sound it reads like a suicide attempt i mean if you hadn't made it to the hospital you probably wouldn't be with us right now so mm. like that How with that long of a time of spent just hating yourself, how did you learn to love yourself again? I mean, do you even feel that or is it more of like getting it from other people? Like, man,
1: that blows my mind. What I used to say, they say you can't love somebody without loving yourself first. So Mm -hmm. the way I used to get around with that is I would say I love hurting myself. Mm-hmm. That was my motto. I loved hurting myself, so then mm-hmm. I could love you because I still don't know how to love myself. I just love hurting myself that's how I trick your love language. right that 's how I tricked oh. my my being hmm. you know but yeah but in in the house, they had to teach me how to love myself, I did not want to hurt myself in a genuine way in yeah, the genuine sure, way yeah. you know and um i i once I realized i didn't want to die and I wanted to be with my grandkids, and I wanted mm-hmm. to be with my wife and family, you know, and I wanted to be sober. All I had to do was learn tools how to do that. You know, I had to learn how to start loving myself and loving people around me. Not a fake love. Mm-hmm. You know, not, oh, I love you when you're full of a bottle of booze. Mm-hmm. But a real love. Real mm-hmm. hugs. You know, my grandkids, they they they've never they, they were born when I was drinking. You know, and I think my granddaughter has seen me fall down a couple times. But she didn't know I was drunk. And I don't ever want them. To ever see me drunk? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't ever want my family to ever see me drunk again. Yeah. You know, and you know, you you, I I would I I I went with that. You know, I went with when I first got into recovery. I didn't have anything left in myself to want to be want to be you know want a better life. I didn't know how. I didn't have that left in me. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I wanted my my grandkids and my daughters and my wives and my moms and all my friends and family. To see me sober, and then have fun sober, you know. So it started out more like, you know, I don't want them to be disappointed in me. Right. As the days went on, I was more like, okay, I I, I want to do this. I want to be sober. I want to, you know. So I needed I needed my family's love to help push me in the door. They didn't. Nobody told me to go to rehab. Nobody told me anything. I just did it. But it, mm-hmm. at the beginning, I needed, the, I needed for me to think like, oh my gosh, this would be so incredible. To not have to worry about driving drunk with my grandkids. Or yeah. make them an mm-hmm. excuse why I'm not driving. You know, <laughs> for, you know, because I can't drive. I've been drinking. I don't want to drink. With, you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. It, I just, it was just a bunch of different things. And knowing that someday, you know, this could really happen. You know, and that happened little by little in the in the rehab I was in. Right. Little by little, I started making up stories and, you know, playing, you know, like pictures in my head of what it would really be like being sober and doing this sober you know and it just, it's just almost
0: like visualization visualization
1: yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely and you know to this day you know i'd never been sober fishing i'd never been sober skiing i'd never been sober on a backpack trip i never been sober you know just on so many things that i've never been sober doing that i do now you mm-hmm. know and i love it yes yeah. yeah. like, you know i've been sober camping mm-hmm. and you know they went to they had a camp bench or something two years almost two years ago and i went to it. i was like wow i woke up you know nobody's mad at me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it burns all over my body. Wow, this pissed, is, yeah. like, are okay. People were like yeah. offering me breakfast that morning. I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." You know, yeah. Before I wake up and half the camp would be moved, half the people would hate me. Uh, mm. People on the other side of the campsite were like, "That hey, wouldn't shut like up because you're not there." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're a long you, away. Know? yeah. you know, just the greatest experience are happening in my life now. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh man. That's so crazy to think of it the opposite way because as kids, where I was like, oh, what's the first time, you know, you have all these first time type situations, but I've never thought of it in like, oh, the first time I experienced life in a genuine way and like got what I wanted out of it. And and
0: I it think that's the cool thing to mention because it's the other side of that coin you mentioned earlier. We're like, man, like, I have to feel things now. Like, right. Yeah, know, you, you I to, get to feel things yeah, now. Right, get, I get you. you get both of those plays, man. If you get the full complexity of life, it's no longer like, a blur you know mm-hmm. or like dulled or just uh, not even dulled or like mm. obviously sometimes known but just like that red running rage dude you yeah i mean like when you're i don't know dude at least in some experiences like when you're drinking heavy and things are kind of blur and, and you're blacking out like you might get some things like you may, or may remember some things but not really a lot like you're just kind of blurring life by you know like you don't really get the bad times but man you don't really fully get the good times either man like you don't get a genuine appreciation for the complexity of life, you know, like, and all of what that life is, and, like, because I have a lot of those similar experiences, like, you know, like, man, this, like, kind of tears me up, because I used to, like, you know, go to family events, you know, and things, and, like, part of it is, like, oh, you go to these family events, and, like, people drink, and, like, that's a thing that you do, and then, like, you make you embarrass yourself around your family, and, like, now grandpa's pissed, and that's kind of weird, you know, and now, like, I go back home, and, like, I can totally sympathize with that aspect of, like, man, people get to see me, like, be my best me, like, man like we're doing cool things now like yeah. you like where i get to go home people are like hey man what are you doing for work i'm like oh swinging a hammer and drinking beer you know like that's not it anymore man no. like i get to do some pretty cool stuff day in and day out and it's really because like and i the reason only reason i bring up that is because like, it's like you like i don't know you just get to fully live and like feel life you know for better for better and worse like, absolutely like and it's just a it's a pretty beautiful experience, man. So like, I don't know. That just got me fired up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I've 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 lived I've lived an incredible life. I've done incredible things. I've had incredible jobs. I've lived in incredible places. I've lived on top of mountains. You know, um, I don't dwell on it like, oh my gosh, uh, I wish I was sober. But when I look back at it, I think about it, you know, wow, I would have learned twice I would have learned twenty times as much if I was sober. I would have mm-hmm. you know, my body wouldn't be in as bad a shape as it is now if All I was right. sober. But, you know, the good part is is that I can do the rest of my life, and that's the whole key. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. to dying to, sober. You get to double down you know? forward now. I can change. die sober, you know, and mm-hmm. you know I still can be my crazy self. I just have to do it real slow. You have to be mellow and actually like, hey, bro, want to help me jump off this curb? I can ask for help now, you know. I I'm mm-hmm. serious about that too. I look at a curb, you know. On the, on the street, and I'm like, okay, where is there a sidewalk I walked <laughs> down? You know, I don't yeah. want to step off a curb crazy anymore, no, it's just, oh, you man. know? Oh, yeah. man. It's, it's a great feeling to, to remember that I lived a wild life. It's also a great feeling to remember that I live the rest of my life sober, and, mm. you know?
2: Well, and, and that's a, an interesting perspective is that we see ourselves as like a whole life, right? We see our past, present, future, and we kind of think of it as a whole person. The grand and era. yet we all experience only the present. Like the tuba that I know is only the tuba that's right in front of me. Right. And so for everyone else on earth at this moment, that is who you are. Yeah. So even though you have a past, for anything that you do in the future, it's a unique and original moment that – that would have gone so much differently if you had changed things back then. I mean, in the sense of, um, I guess your past doesn't define you, but you're you're in your own timeline. So it's really hard not to do that.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I mentioned skiing, I was avid skier. I loved skiing, you know, and last year because I had so many surgeries, I didn't get a ski. Mm -hmm. So this year, that's why I just can't wait. I know probably you probably don't want to hear this, but I can't wait for so- winter to get here. <laughs> even though I won't be able to ski the way I used to ski, mm-hmm. it'll be the first time ever that i skied sober. <laughs> ever. You know, ever. <laughs> you know, just like when I'm fishing, is the first time ever that i sober. You know, even when I was fishing, maybe when I was a little kid, I was sober, but even towards the end when my dad was, before he got sick, I was sneaking the beers. Me and my little cousins would get up in the middle of the night and sneak sips of the beer that were left on the tables and, I was drinking back then, too, you know. Mm. So it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, all the experiences I have to look forward to sober are just like, you know, like a little kid going to Disneyland. you know? <laughs> yeah. I can't wait.
2: Sounds like a special yeah. Christmas. So it was like, yeah. it's like that that experience is a present that you can't wait to open up. You're like, I wonder how it's going to be. It's, I get to really get all of
0: all of the feeling out of this. Yeah. You kinda of get to recapture that innocence you didn't really get to have after your father passed. Away absolutely. Was, mm. Absolutely. Mm. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people that go through like traumatic things, you know, and they're expecting to be like you know, things like that. You know, like the man of the house kind of thing, or like, you know, some of these archetypes that like we're kinda of pressed into playing when we're really not ready. And you're like, Man, I kinda just it could be kinda cool if I could be a kid, you know, that'd be sweet. And now, like, obviously you're an adult and like you get to but that's even the cool part because like you get your own car, you get freedom, you have your self-direction and you still get to enjoy it with that innocence that you never got to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And That's like, it's
1: one of the most beautiful
0: things about recovery that I like love to see like all the time. Yeah. And
1: you know, you learn, you get to learn how to forgive yourself too, because by leaving my mom and my little brother and my sister, you know, I damaged our, I damaged the relationship with my little brother damaged relationship with my sister i should have been there to protect them and to protect my little brother and to help my mom and stuff so those are some of the things that i will have to live with the rest of my life but mm-hmm. I've, I've made amends with them and i've talked to them mm-hmm. and i've asked for their forgiveness you know but you know uh when we do that to ourselves we don't realize that we're, what we're, we're we don't what we realize that we're hurting the people who love us the most mm-hmm. you know and a lot of times we don't realize that till we're sober yeah you know we have to look back on that and we have to be like, okay. Yeah, you know, we're not just hurting ourselves. We're hurting other people Mm -hmm. that loved us, you know, for years. Yeah. You know? It can be harder, too, like, in those moments
0: of clarity when you do know that you're hurting those people, you know? Oh, that's a good point. You know? Like, when you're kind of stuck in, like, because one that I actually think about quite often is, like, this guilt-shame cycle that people in their active addictions go through. Because there are those moments of clarity, at least in some experiences, where, like, Man, you know you're doing bad things, but you're just not at that place, or you're not really like you'll have whatever's missing. You're not quite at this space where you're like, man, but I need help to change. You know, yeah. so like those moments, like it's stuck in that guilt shame cycle. So if there are people who are listening now, like you know, that are kind of like, man, this is me, you know, like, I know at times, like, I'm hurting people I love, you know, even then, like, you kind of banded it up, though, like, you kind of can right. use again and banded that thing up and kind of just keep pressing forward until you forget about it again, like, you can break that cycle.
1: You know? Absolutely. Like, that can end, like, Absolutely. we can do it soon, we just have to. You can to, do it right now. Yeah. Just right now. True. Yeah. We have to you can stop right now. You just have to want it. Yeah. You have to be able to want wanting to live a different life. You, you know reach out for help reach be out for vulnerable. help and you can't beat yourself up over it you can't be like, oh no i've been on this stuff nobody's going to forgive me <clears throat> my life is just going to be this way it's not true mm-hmm. your life can change yeah. you just have to want it to change mm-hmm. you have to want it to change you have to have want it with your whole being
2: yeah. everything mm-hmm. yeah. and it i feel like some people might not even value themselves enough yet to want to change like right. if you hate yourself and want to die you're not going to take steps that are going to bring you to the place where you can be healed. And so I encourage people to let go of the shame that comes with your experiences of your past and, and try to
0: move towards a future that you want to have. Cause that's still possible. Or even just taking that first step right now. And like at the end of this podcast, like we always do, we'll shout out the numbers. Um, obviously we work very closely with Sven house. So we'll shout out those numbers. We also have other podcasts for places like Cicada um and other people like help freedom house uh love Inc. just to take that first step get a foot in the door even if it's not right now gung-ho but in this moment right now if there's someone you can call something you can do to not pick up now it's an important first step
1: important first step just get make the start
0: making connections and get that foot in the door ASAP, like while you're thinking about it right now.
1: Absolutely, it's our God-given right to be happy mm-hmm. you know, even if we don't think we deserve to be happy, you do deserve to be happy and you do deserve to be sober and there, there is a good future out there for that, for anybody who doesn't think they deserve to be loved, you do deserve to be loved, you know so, and you deserve
2: to be understood Absolutely. And I know a lot of people don't feel understood and that's the huge gap is that no one's ever going to get me, and that's not true no one has maybe no one has gotten you yet, but it is a possibility that someone can understand you and love you for who you are.
1: Yes, and this program shows that too. That a lot of people think, oh, nobody's like me. Um, oh, you're wrong. There's a lot of people out there with our addictions, with after sober, that have that have gone through the same thing. That have you know that that can help people, let them know that they can love themselves. And there's a lot of people out there that will love you. Mm. You know so you know i I suggest you reach out to any any anybody you can because it's your life it's Mm -hmm. a battle out there people are dying you know they're dying kids are dying people are dying from this disease on a regular in this town Mm -hmm. you know Hmm. and um just real quick before i forget
0: if if this is striking a chord with you and you're at this place just in this moment just right now it may not This moment may not last, you know, the next couple days or whatever, but the number for the intake office is 907-714-4521. Even if you just call and make that connection, put that number in your phone, write it down somewhere and just have it around and know that when you're there in that space, take it from Tuba's experience, they will meet you where you're at with compassion and care and all those things that we've been talking about all you know a lot of the stories we talk a lot of stories we hear uh this process is similar you get your foot in the door make the connections find a meeting they'll meet you where you're at and they will love you and they, Mm -hmm. they will over time it doesn't sound like it now and it doesn't feel like it now but over time They will help you learn to love yourself and put yourself in these shoes like that all these 65 stories that we've shared so far Mm -hmm. where a lot of these people are at this community is a special community when it comes to recovery community they're very connected very loving very supportive group of individuals absolutely is one more time that number is Mm -hmm.
1: 907-714-4521 is there anything else we wanted to hit on i just want to say thank you guys for giving me this opportunity to reach out to my community and try to give back a little bit that was so freely given to me. And actually, yeah, if you
0: make that call right now, you can go see two because he's at peer support. <laughs> Absolutely, come and <laughs> see yeah. me. These are the guys who would love to love you and help you love yourself. Uh, this was you and I for the keynote.